When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 72 coming to you this week, Thanksgiving week. Uh, Zach Faldor here, as always, with my co-host, Steve Helwick, steering this ship. Steve, hard to believe that it is the last week of the regular, the regular season, season in college football, and yet here we are. Uh, the season seems to have flown by, as it always does, but a lot to look forward to here on this final week of the season. Got some rivalry matchups, a lot of good entertaining games with some serious implications here this weekend. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. And yeah, rivalry week is always a fun one. Uh, last week of Tuesday night action we have, and we have that one Wednesday, our first night without football since late October. And then yeah. I always love Thursday with the NFL games is going on in the day and the egg bowl going on at night and all, always a fun time. So I'm, I'm just looking forward to this week in general, because I know it's going to be a good one. Absolutely. You know, you, you mentioned Thanksgiving day, Everyone, you know, the NFL obviously gets the spotlight, but I feel like the Egg Bowl is like an underrated, you know, Thanksgiving evening, you know, appointment viewing. Always crazy things that happen in the Egg Bowl there. Uh, love watching that game, especially love. I mean, I've always loved Mike Leach. So having him in that rivalry now, him versus Lane Kiffin Thursday night, going to be an awesome game. Maybe one of the few games this week that reaches the level of vitriol as the civil conflict, which you mentioned last week on the show. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, Steve, uh, we had an interesting week in the MAC. Some interesting results, uh, some high-scoring games, a lot of fireworks here. Uh, let's jump right into it here, man. What did you think about uh, what we saw this past week? What was the team uh, or individual performance that impressed you the most? I think this is probably the most forgettable game <clears throat> that happened last week, but my performance of the week comes from this game, and that would be Bryant Kobach for the yeah. Toledo Rockets. Had 21 carries for 203 yards, almost getting 10 a pop four touchdowns for the Rockets and Toledo, Ohio had been playing good football recently, but Toledo really left no doubt in that game. And it wasn't even as close as the scoreboard suggested because Ohio got two touchdowns in the final five minutes. Toledo destroyed Ohio in that game, 35 to nine. So this, this Rockets team clinched bowl eligibility with that win and Toledo under Jason Candle, they've clinched bowl eligibility at least every single season, even though they haven't always got the invite. So you got to give props to their longtime running back, Bryant Kobach, for fueling the offense in that win. So just 200 yards and four touchdowns, great performance in a, in, in a Mac, which is producing some good running back numbers recently. Yeah, it really is. And, and uh, gr- great pick, first of all. I mean, an unbelievable game by Bryant Kobach. And, you know, it's, it's funny, Steve. I feel like because of how at the, the level at which Lou Nichols has been producing lately – kind of makes it so that Brian Kobach has been getting overlooked. I mean, Brian Kobach himself, you look at his last four games, he's over a hundred in all four of those games. He has eight touchdown runs in his last three games. So I, I think because again, because of uh, what Lou Nichols has been doing for central Michigan, um, that's really kind of gotten overlooked here the last month. And I think Toledo, uh, you know, really pounding the ball and, and running the ball well, 
uh, the other night against Ohio. Uh, really going to feel that feels like kind of the blueprint for me to, for them to be successful, you know, moving forward. And they, they really did it well. I mean, uh, you know, 251 yards rushing, 31 carries, 8.1 yards per carry uh, the other night for the Rockets. And I agree with you, really, really played well. One of the best performances of the season for, uh, for the Rockets. My performance of the week, uh, I'm going a little bit under the radar here, Steve. I'm going in the same vein uh, that you mentioned, though. I'm going with the Eastern Michigan run game, specifically Jawan Hamilton, uh, the Eagles running back. I mean, talk about, you know, this is a team we've talked about, Steve, really struggled to run the ball all year. They've struggled to have balance on offense. Ben Bryant and that passing attack has been so high powered. And, uh, you know, with with Hassan Beydoun and Dylan Drummond and all those receivers they have on the outside, they've really gotten a lot of attention uh, through the passing game. But their running game, a little bit underwhelming this year, averaging under four yards per carry. But, um and this one here, they kind of really kind of seem to discover that run game against a pretty good Western Michigan defense. Jawan Hamilton, 19 carries, 179 yards, 9.4 yards per carry. Didn't find the end zone, but he didn't have to. Eagles were still able to pull that one out 22 to 21 uh, coming back in the fourth quarter against Western Michigan. So I really liked what I saw from Jawan Hamilton in the Eastern Michigan run game uh, that on Wednesday night against Western Michigan. What about on the flip side of the fence here, Steve, looking at the, the, the disappointing performance of the week? A couple candidates here, a couple of uh, poor performances that we saw, but if you had to pick one, what are you looking at? I feel like I pick on, on the same two teams every single week. More at the beginning of the season, it was Ball State, and more recently, it's Western Michigan. I could pick both right now, but I'm going to flip back to Ball State. Come on, Cardinals. You were in Muncie. Chance to clinch bowl eligibility against Central Michigan. I know the Chippewas have been on fire recently. But I expected more from Ball State's offense, especially in the passing game. Uh, they, they have Justin Hall, obviously, for that game, so that was rough. Uh, I haven't looked at his status yet, but I hope he is back for Tuesday night, a senior night, because I would love to see his story career and Muncie come to a fitting close. And But Ball State just wasn't able to produce much without him. Drew Plitt didn't pass 200 yards, which has been a pretty big theme this year. He's only passed 200 yards in four, four times this season when it was – basically a regular last year. But I think the biggest problem in this game was Ball State's defense. I know the offense only put up 17, but the defense couldn't tackle. Lou Nichols just had his way with the defense. He was shedding first-level tackles on a consistent basis. He had 219 yards, season high, three touchdowns. And I actually don't – wait, Kenneth Walker didn't get enough yards. So I think Lou Nichols, yeah. is, is he the number one – leading rusher right now he is because ohio state stifled kenneth walker so congrats to him but ball state's defense could not stop him at all and then the passing game too khalil pimpleton jacory sullivan were just consistently beating ball state's defensive backs down field this cardinals defense looked nothing like 2020 the offense looked nothing like 2020 and now the cardinals have to win one more in muncie to even get bowl eligibility so six is kind of a disappointing season even if they do beat buffalo though ball state they, they really should have had a better follow-up year to their 2020 map title yeah totally agree i think if you would have told cardinals fans uh before the year started that they'd be you know need to win this last game to get the bowl eligibility they'd be very disappointed by that and you know you mentioned drew plitt steve obviously he's he's proven to be a great quarterback over the course of his career but something has just looked a little bit off for the cardinals offense these last three weeks i mean you look at plitt 
going back all the, even in that Akron game, you know, you look at these last three games, uh, you know, barely completing 50% of his passes, uh, you know, 21 for 39, you know, against Northern Illinois two weeks ago, 11 of 26, only 126 yards. Um, so yeah, Cardinals certainly kind of limping to the finish line here and hoping that they can, uh, you know, get this win over Buffalo this week and get to bowl eligibility and, and, you know, get back to a bowl game at six and six for my, my disappointment of the week, Steve, I got to go with the other team that you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago. It's, it's got to be Western Michigan for me. Broncos. I, I don't know what's going on with them right now, but you know, watching that game and there's something I tweeted out the other day as, as the game ended is that that game against Eastern Michigan, they, you know, the 22, 21 loss uh, to the Eagles in the rivalry game in Ypsilanti last week, it really felt to me as like kind of like Western Michigan season in a capsule, right? Where it was a game where they they really kind of dominated uh, the first three quarters of that game. You know, you're up 21-16 going into the fourth quarter. You outgain Eastern Michigan 485 to 422. You completely shut down this Eastern Michigan passing attack, which has been so high potent all year. Ben Bryant, th- only 13 of 23 for 150. 56 yards and yet still in the fourth quarter you have two turnovers you kind of give this game away the Broncos just could not get over get out of their own way in this game and it really you know they really did everything they could to give this game away to Eastern Michigan here uh, in in the last you know last quarter of the game and now Steve you know we're looking at this Western Michigan team traveling to DeKalb this week to take on uh, Mac West champion Northern Illinois all of a sudden Western Michigan's looking at a potential six and six season. If you would have told me that a month and a half ago, whenever they were four and one, I would have told you you were crazy. And uh, it's it's really crazy to me how fast this season has fallen apart for the Broncos. And you got you know, it feels like you got to look at the coaching staff there. Curious to get your thoughts on that. I mean, what do you think here? You know, Western Michigan loses this last game of the season and finishes six and six. It feels to me like they 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 might have to look at making a change here. What do you think? I think I would agree so because this team has not been to Detroit since the PJ Fleck era in 2016 when they qualified for the Cotton Bowl. And you can look at every single Western Michigan team since, and you can say that is the most talented, well-balanced team in the MAC. They've had good running backs every single year yeah. since PJ Fleck. They had Levante Bellamy, Jamari Bogan. They have this three-headed backfield right now, which has worked pretty well with Sean Tyler, Jackson Kincaid, and – Western Michigan just isn't producing the results. And they had the game. They've three weeks in a row, they've had a double digit lead. They had it on Western Michigan. They were up 14 0 early. Looked like they were going to get in control in the game. Then they, Khalil Pimpleton happened and they were trailing by halftime. Akron, they had that double digit lead in the fourth quarter and the Zips came back and took the lead. But Western Michigan ended up winning on a Caleb Ellaby long pass to Corey Crooms. And last week, they had a double digit lead in the second half in Eastern Michigan roars back and the turnovers the late turnovers just doom western michigan it seems like every week no lead is safe with this team it's like they're always going to find a way to collapse and it's unreal how bad these past four weeks have been and i'm including that akron win and a a bad performance by them because when i saw western michigan I, i i let them have the slip up against ball state everyone has a bad game like that and then they come back next week and they beat kent state 64 to 31 And after that game, I'm thinking this team is going to win the Mac West. They're going to go to Detroit and they haven't delivered anything since dropping 64 on Kent state in a 33 point win. And it's got to be frustrating. And you have to look internally at this team and say, what's the problem right now? I know this is a large coaching change cycle and they're getting a new ID at Western Michigan. So there's already going to be some turnover that goes on, 
But you have to look like, why are we not winning football games? Caleb Ellaby is a heck of a quarterback. The running backs are great. Sky Moore, Corey Crooms, Jalen Hall, they have as talented as a receiving core as anyone in the MAC. Yeah. And defensively, they were like the best run MAC defense for a long time. They have good pass rushers and Ali Fayad and Ralph Hawley. The, the linebackers in the secondary aren't as stout as a defensive line, but still they've proven to be decent in the games like the San Jose State and the Buffalo games, which were on the lower scoring side this year. But they can't get things done. So you just got to look. I, I know they don't have a kicking game, which has also contributed to a lot of their uh, mishaps this year. But Western Michigan, you got to be better than six and five. You beat Pitt. You beat nine and two Pitt. And yeah. you can't and you can't compete. You're Owen what oh and four against the rest of the mac west that's terrible yeah yeah it really is and uh you know you, you mentioned that pit game and that makes it even all the more frustrating i think for broncos fans because you see the potential of what this team can do when they're hitting on all cylinders and you know a lot of the things you mentioned i mean you got caleb Ellaby leading the mac in passing yards you got sky Moore second in the mac in receiving yards you got ali fayette on defense leading the mac in sacks and then even from a team perspective i mean you're second in the mac in total offense you know, you're second in the MAC in, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, second in the MAC in total defense, third in the MAC in sacks produced by your defense. These are all metrics that would point to a team that should be competing for a conference championship, and yet they're not. They're not even close. You know, they're sitting in the basement of the MAC West at three and four, six and five overall, looking, uh, you know, looking at another 500 season. So a very disappointing year uh, for the Broncos. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the leadership of their program here over the next couple of weeks, uh, pending the results of this weekend and moving into bowl season. So uh, speaking of this weekend, Steve, let's take a look at uh, our, our, our final Mac slate of the football season, final full slate. We got two Tuesday games, two Friday games, two Saturday games, uh, really nice and even mix of, of Mac football here to get you through the entire Thanksgiving week. Let's start with our Tuesday games here, Steve. We mentioned Ball State and Buffalo. Ball State sitting at five and six now, needing that last win to get back to 500, to get back to bowl eligibility. They are a six and a half point home favorite against the Bulls in this one. The total set at 58 and a half. This one kicks Tuesday at seven o'clock on ESPN+. Uh, Steve, we saw a disappointing performance, as you mentioned, from Ball State against Central Michigan last week, getting blown out 37 to 17 by the Chippewas. And it really wasn't close after, you know, the second quarter there. Uh, Buffalo, on the other hand, though, they gave us the best performance that we've seen from them in quite some time, taking Northern Illinois to overtime. The Huskies ended up winning that one 33-27 on Clint Ratkovich's uh, touchdown run on their first play of overtime for the Huskies. Uh, curious to see what you think about this one here, Steve. Again, Ball State obviously with much more to play for here with bowl eligibility, but I think we saw some good things from the bowl, the Bulls uh, last week against Northern Illinois. Uh, Dylan McDuffie had himself a nice game. Matt Myers had some good moments in the passing game as well. What do you think about this one uh, Tuesday night in Muncie? Well, it's a rematch of the 2020 MAC championship game, and both of these teams actually finished ranked in the 2020 season. Yeah. Right now, they both have losing records, so it's been a little disappointing for both of these teams. But the one thing I'm looking forward to the most in this game is possibly the final stand for a lot of seniors. And watching the MAC over this year, over the years, you really get to appreciate the seniors, especially the Spall State squad. Some of these guys have been there since 2016, 2017 and have been with the team for so long. And they were a part of that rise from what two and 10 to a Mac championship in a AP ranking last year. So you get to watch on ball state. They had 
10 all-max selections in 2020. All 10 of them are seniors who are going to play their last game here, assuming that they're all healthy. You have the four all-MAC linebackers from a year ago. Uh, Brandon Martin just returned recently. He had a really good game against NIU a week ago. And so he's going to be back, and that's going to help the defense a little bit, hopefully, for the Cardinals. And then Justin Hall, if he returns, that'll make his, his – his presence will be felt on the offense as it was clearly missed last week when they scored just 17 points. And then Drew Plitt, <clears throat> excuse me, Drew Plitt needs to go out in style because he's done a lot of great things for the Cardinals program. And when, when he throws for 200 yards, Ball State's offense has been in really good shape this year. They're three and one in such games. So you're going to need to Plitt to air it out. And getting Hall involved in the offense is really good. But I feel like when they get Johannes Tyler, another departing senior, that was a 2020 All-Max selection. But when you get Johannes Tyler and Jay Sean Jackson getting involved in the offense along with Hall, that's when Ball State feels most dangerous, when they're just distributing the ball evenly between their top three targets, and that just makes them harder to, to defend. On the other side, I was inspired by Buffalo's effort last week. This was a team, they were, they were vying for bowl eligibility, even though it was unlikely at that point windy atmosphere it looked like they were going to be down against niu after allowing 21 unanswered points but then the defense eric black played really well in the defensive end position and they're they're operating without taylor riggins right now and max michelle from the defensive end so seeing eric black who had a really good camellia bowl last year seeing him he stepped up last year in malcolm Kuntz's absence he stepped up again this year so i i was really pleased by the effort i saw from him but then the running backs Dylan McDuffie had a heck of a game and McDuffie yeah. right now he's, he's basically become what Jarrett Patterson was in the Buffalo offense in the past few years, in terms of his carries numbers at the beginning of the year, he wasn't getting 20 carries in a game. Now he's doing it every single time. He got 29 last game. He got 34 a few games ago and he's producing almost hundred yards each outing. So Buffalo is going back to that running based offense. And I think that they're going to go more toward that because Kyle Van Trees is out for the year, according to the ESPN2 broadcast last week. So Matt Myers is going to take over at quarterback, and I think that they're going to keep things as grounded as possible. And if we saw what Central Michigan could do by keeping things on the ground, then I think Buffalo could have some moderate success against this Ball State defense. But Ball State last year was prepared to stack the box against Buffalo, and they really gave Buffalo's running backs a very difficult time in that match championship game and forced the Bulls to throw and Ball State won that game 38 to 28 because of that. So I think if Ball State can strategize and get their first level tackling, then I think that the Cardinals should be in good shape and get that sixth win to get the bowl eligibility. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, for the most part, Steve. I think to me, the, the, the interesting matchup I'm looking at for this game, you know, you mentioned Drew Plitt and, you know, having to get the, the passing attack going for the Cardinals. Buffalo comes into this game leading the la the Mac and sacks on defense. You know they've they've produced thirty five sacks this year. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, you got a couple of your 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 main guy. You got Taylor, you know Taylor Riggins and Max Michelle out there uh, on the defensive line. So obviously that affects things. Eric Black, as you mentioned, the only guy that was pr produced a sack for Buffalo's uh, defense last week. He was the only you know they only got to Rocky Lombardi one time. So Eric Black going to really have to step up there, and they're going to have to see how they can get pressure on uh, on. Uh, Plitt this week and see if they can get him on the ground and kind of disrupt their rhythm on offense. I think offensively, though, for Buffalo, I like what I see from Matt Myers in the sense that he brings a little bit of a dual threat to the game, right? He had 43 rushing yards against NIU uh, on some scrambles and on some design runs, Matt, and also, you know, 
uh, 162 yards and a, and a touchdown through the air. So I, I'm curious to see what this Buffalo defensive front is able to do against the Ball State offensive line. Are they going to be able to get to Drew Plitt? And is this offensive line going to be able to establish the run game for the Cardinals? You know, uh, Ball State seems to have found the run game a little bit here over the last couple weeks with the emergence of Carson Steele. He had 20 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown against uh, against Central Michigan last week. But if Ball State can't stop the run, you know, they gave up 285 rush yards and 6.2 yards per carry against Central Michigan last week. I'm um, not sure that it's going to matter. I do. I agree with you, Steve. I think Ball State wins this game. I think, though, giving them a touchdown uh, as a favorite feels like a little bit much to me. This feels like a, a you know, a, a field goal game to me. Maybe, you know, maybe a touchdown game if, if things break the Cardinals way. But regardless, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. Always great to see, uh, the, you know, the 2020 Mac, you know, anytime you get to see a, a, re, uh, a rematch of the previous year's conference championship game, always uh, an interesting matchup. This next one here, Steve, our other Tuesday game. Uh, if there is one line in the Mac this year that has really intrigued me and surprised me, it is this one, Northern Illinois, a three and a half point home underdog to Western Michigan on tomorrow night, uh, in DeKalb kicks Tuesday at seven o'clock ESPNU, uh, the total in this one, 62 and a half, Steve, this, when I saw this line, it made me question, I, I questioned it to the point where I had to do some research and I didn't know if there were some injuries for the Huskies that I wasn't aware of. Now, obviously you could say they've clinched the division. Maybe they're going to rest some guys. Maybe they're not going to go all out on this game because they want to be healthy for the game at Ford field uh, in two weeks, which I certainly would understand that, but still the way Western Michigan has been playing for the last month here, this, this is a really odd line to me. Uh, to have the Huskies as a more than a, a, a field goal underdog at home in the Calvin, this one, what do you think about this one? How do you see this playing out? Well, I just have thought about recent Mac champions and how they finished their regular season in 2019, the Miami Redhawks stumbled to the finish. They lost to ball state in their regular season finale in 2018. NIU lost their final two Mac games to mm -hmm. Miami and of course to Western Michigan. So I feel like a lot of these teams, once they clinch, <clears throat> that spot in Detroit, they've let up a lot recently. So I'm kind of seeing that trend that's gone on the, in the past few years. And Western Michigan, as I said before, they're a talented team. They can beat anyone in the MAC on any given day, and I wouldn't be shocked. That that just speaks to the testament of what the team can do when they're all clicking. And on the other hand, Northern Illinois, it's a mark of a well-coached team when you can come out on top of every game. They have every MAC game that they played has been one score this year. And every win they've had over an FBS team has still been one score. And they got an overtime win last week to add to their, what, they have three one-point wins this year and yeah. an eight-point win, a two-point win, a seven-point win, and now a six-point overtime win. So Northern Illinois doesn't know how to win anything except close games, but at least they know how to win these games. I think this is going to be a close one. I'm leaning toward the Broncos right now because wow. I, I, I fall for this every single week. It's just like the people that think all oh, Texas is going to be back every year or something <laughs> where it, where they, they show the promise and like Western Michigan shows the promise in the first half every week. And you say, Oh, that's why, that's why I have faith in this team. That's why I believe in them, but they choke. But I, I just like Western Michigan in this game. I I know I picked against NIU a lot this year just because I haven't been confident in how convincingly they've won games, but this is a darn good Huskies team. And they're so balanced recently. Rocky Lombardi has been a good passer. They've run the ball. Well, 
uh, although I'm not going to blame for the wind, having a great kicker like John Richardson, who's been money this year. I know he hit the game-winning field goal last week, but that's a great way to win close games. And if you look at the kicking of Western Michigan versus NIU, there's a clear advantage of who's the better team this year in that one. But NIU's had done really well recently. I, I liked what they did last week with getting Trayvon Rudolph involved in the running game, and he got 94 yards on three carries, including a long touchdown. Clint Rakovich, Ontario Brown, Jay Ducker, they just have a never-ending assembly line of running backs. I, I remember when we thought their season might be doomed when Harrison Whaley went down early in the year, but they're, they're still churning through things, and Lombardi's gotten a lot better throughout the season. But just something about Western Michigan, it, I just can't I just can't not pick against him. I think I've picked against, I think I've picked the Broncos in every single Mac game this year, just because I know what this team's capable of at their full potential. It's going to be a close. I've thought I've flipped flopped this pick, but I think the Broncos can get it done and finish the season seven five. Wow. Bold, a bold prediction there. I love it. And yeah, you know, it's, it's so true. And we, we talked about it a couple minutes ago and you just mentioned again right now where it's like, the potential of this Broncos team is so intoxicating. Like when you see them firing on all cylinders, they are as good as any team in the Mac. And I do think this week, I think one part of this matchup that I really like for Western Michigan, you know, you, you mentioned the ground game uh, that, you know, they didn't, produced quite to the level on the ground against Eastern Michigan that they probably would have liked to, though they still got 178 yards and two touchdowns. But the way they split it up between the three running backs, Ladarius Jefferson, Sean Tyler, Jackson Kincaid has come on here uh, in these last couple weeks and had himself some nice games. You know, this is a team that can run the ball. They will establish the run. Northern Illinois, for all of their uh, for all of their strengths as a team, their rush defense has not been great this year. They're giving up 210 yards per game on the ground. That is 11th in the MAC, better than only Akron. And so I do think there's an opportunity here for Western Michigan to establish the run. And obviously, throwing the ball, you mentioned Caleb Ellaby leading the MAC in in uh, in, re- in passing yards. Sky Moore, Corey Crooms. Uh, this is a this is a deep offense, a talented offense. I think. The other part of this matchup that I like for Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, obviously they're going to want to establish the run as well. They're 11th in the NCAA in rushing. They're still averaging over 220 yards per game, despite the fact, as you mentioned, that Harrison Whaley has uh, has gone out and you know they've they've had to kind of continue to find new guys to to plug in there. They have uh, three three backs now, or I'm sorry, three three four guys now over 300 yards rushing on the season this year. All of them over four yards per carry. Included in that group is Rocky Lombardi at running back. So I'm with you, Steve. I I hear you. I I feel like. I, I'm not opposed to saying Western Michigan is going to win this game, but man, given the Huskies more than a field goal at home feels pretty crazy to me. This is going to be an interesting one to me. I'm really curious to see, especially how the, the Western Michigan front seven matches up against this Huskies offensive line. Uh, the, the Huskies offensive line best in the Mac this year in terms of giving up sacks, only seven sacks allowed uh, through 11 games for the Huskies. And obviously their, their, their ground game, their run game has been dominant as well. Western Michigan's going to want to bring, bring pressure. They're third in the Mac, 32 sacks on the year. So Ali Fayad, Ralph Howley, really going to try and do what they can to disrupt this Northern Illinois rushing attack. So that'll be an interesting one. Um, also in the state of Michigan this week, this one, now we're moving to Black Friday in Mount Pleasant, Eastern Michigan, coming off the, the come-from-behind victory against Western Michigan last week. They travel up to Kelly Short Stadium to take on the Chippewas. Central Michigan, a 7.5-point home favorite in this one. The total set at 64.5. 
Kickoff is at uh, on Friday at noon on ESPNU national television for the Chippewas and the Eagles. Uh, this is another intriguing one here, Steve. We mentioned Eastern Michigan with the come from behind victory that Western Michigan kind of handed them last week. Lou Nichols coming off of another huge performance, uh, 200 yards and three touchdowns uh, for the Chippewas against Ball State last week. Central Michigan, Steve, they might be playing as good a football, if not better than anyone else in the MAC here over the last month, going all the way back to that last second loss they had to Northern Illinois, where they had the opportunity to win that game and you know, botched the snap on the field goal attempt. The Chippewas are playing great football right now. Uh, you know, the line reflects it. They've, you know, they're, they're on a roll here. Uh, what do you see? How do you see this one playing out of Kelly Schwartz on Friday? Yeah, Central Michigan is on a roll right now. And Jim McElwain has really helped the team play to their strengths recently. It didn't feel like they were doing that at the beginning of the year. And they were kind of searching for that identity, but they've definitely found it now. The ground and pound with Lou Nichols is working. Daniel Richardson, he can air that thing out. I mean... They've had so many deep passes in the past few weeks. You have Dallas Dixon, you have Ja'Cory Sullivan, Khalil Pimpleton, all getting open downfield with regularity. And also the tight end, Joel Wilson's gotten more involved. And the offense is very two-dimensional at the moment. So you can't just try to try to stop Lou Nichols and you stop this team because Richardson has really grown into a great quarterback recently. I know he had two picks last week, but he also had an 80% completion percentage. And right now he's up for 21 touchdowns just to just four picks on the year. So really good ratio that the quarterback has here. He wasn't even the week one starter for Central Michigan. He didn't really get into the lineup until that FIU game where he led them on a comeback uh, down three scores in the fourth quarter and they beat the Panthers that day. And Central Michigan's looked pretty good ever since. They had that loss to Miami, Ohio, which was really their only bad performance that they've had since September because that NIU game, they really should have won the game. They were up 18 and they botched the snap on the game winning field goal. And if they hit that, they're probably headed to Detroit. So definitely an interesting turn of events for West for central Michigan this season with a complete turnaround. They figured themselves out and defensively they've been playing so much better since that NIU game where they were, the secondary was just allowing everything. I thought they really did a good job of stifling Western Michigan in the second half of that game. I thought they did a good job of stifling Kent State also in the second half after Kent State's offense had a hot start. And last week against Ball State, I think that was probably the best defensive performance I've seen from the team in MAC play all year. So Central Michigan's also stepping up on both sides of the football. Against Ball State, they were able to knock down eight passes, had five tackles for loss. And just the guys like Troy Harrison up front, They've done a great job of just limiting the run game and also pressuring quarterbacks. So Central Michigan's played so well right now. Eastern Michigan's been good too. That was a nice comeback effort that they had against Western Michigan. But the Eagles, they, they did have that questionable performance against Ohio two weeks ago. So I'm not as sold on them as I am Central at the moment. So Eastern Michigan's definitely played some really good football under Chris Creighton. And the fact that they have a seven-win season again, is insane when you consider what Chris Creighton inherited. And I think if Eastern Michigan wins, let me check this one out. I think this will be their first eight win season since with a season with eight wins since 1987. Yeah, I believe that is correct. Steve. Yes, that it's been a long time. So this is a big game for Eastern Michigan. They can win the Michigan Mac trophy also yeah. if they emerge on top. And right now I'm looking up another stat. Eastern Michigan hasn't had the Michigan Mac trophy in their hands since 2012. So long time for the Eagles to hold that Western Michigan's held it six out of the last seven years. 
when if the teams all go one and one against each other, uh, Western Michigan keeps it, and that's what's happened each of the past two seasons. But it's going to the hands of the winner of this game. Eastern Michigan, they finally established a run game last week, and Ben Bryant's been playing very well. But just some things about the Eagles' defense that have been a little questionable, especially in that Ohio game. And some signs of it were present in that Toledo game, too, where I think that Central Michigan, with the way that they've been playing right now, that they can kind of figure figure the Eagles out and really beat them with a high score. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think, to me, this game, more than anything else, this has points written all over it. I think I see, you know, I see 64 and a half as the total here. I, you know, I could see both teams getting into the 30s in this one. I look at this, I, you know, I, and, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, Steve, because um, I, I really do feel that Central Michigan, to me, is the team that has improved the most over the course of the season. Maybe I'd throw Miami in that group, too. But I really look, I, you know, when I think about, I look back at Central Michigan's season, you know, they, they had that, that come from behind victory against Florida International where they were, they were down uh, 17 points in the fourth quarter. Obviously, Florida International has proven to not be a very good team this year, putting it, yeah, putting it mildly. So they have that come from behind victory against Florida International. Then they go down to uh, Miami the, the week after that and really kind of laid an egg against the Red Hawks. But since then... You know, this team, they've run off, you know, they've ripped off five, you know, they've won five of six games with the only loss being that aforementioned uh, last second loss to, to Northern Illinois, where they led by 18 in that game. And I don't think that the Chippewas kind of ascendance here over the last six weeks has, I don't think it's any uh, kind of, uh, I don't think it's any secret that that guy's coincided with the, the, the rise of Lou Nichols here. You know, you go back all the way to that o Ohio game. He's only had one game in the last seven here, or excuse me, in the last six where he's been under 150 yards on the ground. So this is a team offensively that's really kind of finding their identity. You mentioned uh, Daniel Richardson. They, it's, it's like, to me, it seems like what Central Michigan right now is pound the ball, give it to Lou Nichols, and then hit big plays over the top. You got Ja'Cory Sullivan, Dallas Dixon, obviously Khalil Pimpleton, getting him involved in creative ways as well. So I think these are two high-powered passing attacks, that, uh, I, and I don't think either secondary is going to have a lot of fun in this game on Friday. You got Central Michigan first in the MAC, about 283 passing yards per game. Eastern Michigan is third, not far behind them. They're at you know 267. Both of them, so both of them in the top three in passing offense. Both of them in the bottom four in the MAC in passing defense. So I see a lot of points in this game. I'm really looking forward to seeing these two quarterbacks battle it out. I feel like Ben Bryant and uh, Daniel Richardson both uh, have been a little bit underappreciated until these last. couple couple weeks as, as two of the better signal callers in the conference here. Really curious to see how that plays out. Um, this is a really good quarterback battle, but I, I, I wanted to ask you that question though, Steve, like, like I said, I feel like central Michigan is maybe the most improved team in the conference this year. Uh, would you agree with that? Or is there someone else you'd look at that, that you feel has improved more since the, the start of the year in September? Maybe in the country. I mean, yeah. FIU, yeah. FIU was probably better at the beginning of the season than they were now, but to be in a dogfight with FIU, I mean, that, that wasn't a good look. And to see where Central Michigan is today, they, they've made massive strides. And I would like to see if Central Michigan, I would like to see them replay Mizzou or LSU and see yeah. how they could do today against those teams. LSU, they've had injury issues. A lot of guys are out. Keishon Boutte being a main one that has missed a lot of time. But I'd be interested to see if this Central Michigan team, how they would do against LSU today in Death Valley. Also, I know Mizzou's bowl eligible and they've been winning a lot recently, but I, I'd like to see the Central Michigan team against Mizzou because 
in that game, Daniel Richardson wasn't playing quarterback until like, I think he threw one pass on like the final drive in that game. And they did feed Lou Nichols a lot in that game, but I'd like to see if Central Michigan's games plan would have switched up a little bit and if they would have done better. But this team has just made such a massive stride. They, they're, they're the MVPs of midweek match in this year. They went undefeated in midweek games and they dominated all of them. In Western yeah. Michigan, they won by two touchdowns, essentially. Kent State, they beat them by 24 points. Ball State, they beat them by 20 points. Those are all, I know, like, the entire max almost like 500 or above, but I kind of view those as all quality wins. Those aren't Akron, Bowling Green, and Ohio. Those are, those are teams that expected to compete for the MAC championship this year. So those are great wins for central Michigan. Yeah, totally agree with you. Totally agree with what you've seen. And I would, I agree seeing them play against Missouri again. It's funny, Daniel Richardson, a funny, a funny kind of stat line in that game. He came in in the fourth quarter for, for one play whenever Jacob Sermon got hurt and the Chippewas were in the red zone. So Richardson finishes that day one for one for six yards and a touchdown and kind of sailed off into the sunset on a high note there on that day. And it was only until a couple weeks later whenever he became the starter. So, yeah, certainly a great coaching job from uh, from Jim McElwain this year in Mount Pleasant to get the Chippewas uh, on the brink of, of eight wins again. Think he's going to uh, Florida? Yeah, kind of a kind of a uh, get, getting back together with the X, right? See if they'll they'll rehire after. Hey, he knows the area well. He's been to yeah. two SEC championship games before, and he's doing pretty well at Central Michigan. I mean, he has a good thing going at Mount Pleasant. I'm sure the Central Michigan fans don't want to see him leave, but I always think it's funny to rumor guys that got fired for their yeah. older jobs. I always have a good time with that. Yeah, no doubt, and I think probably Florida fans probably fondly remembering those Greg McElwain days now with the way that this uh, season has unfolded with the disaster that's happened in Gainesville that led to Dan Mullins uh, dismissal the other day in uh, in Bowling Green this uh, Saturday, Steve, we got the Ohio Bobcats traveling to Dwight Perry stadium, Bowling Green, a five and a half point home underdog in this one over under set at 48 and a half Friday at noon. This one kicks off. Steve Bowling Green, obviously, you know, uh, they had a couple weeks ago that that nice bounce back victory uh, against the the Buffalo Bulls. One of the more intriguing, perplexing results of the season seemed like maybe they could use that as a uh, kind of a springboard into a, a nice finish to the season. However, that has not materialized, got uh, outscored 34 to seven this past week by the Miami Redhawks, Miami really did just about whatever they wanted in this game. I mean, defensively, uh, they, they held Bowling Green under almost under 250 yards. Matt McDonald, 13 for 28, 108 yards in this one. Uh, really liked what I saw from, from uh, the, uh, well, I guess, you know, the, the run game for Bowling Green. His coming around a little bit, Terry on store with 71 yards and a touchdown on only seven carries. Nick Mosley as well, 94 yards on, uh, on 15 carries for the freshman from, from Pickerington, Ohio, a local product, somewhat local product there for Bowling Green. So the Falcons come in here having lost uh, five of, or I'm sorry, six of seven since that Minnesota game. So hasn't been a, a great, kind of taking a turn for the worse for the, the Falcons here. Ohio also, they've played a lot better as of late, Steve, but uh, really uh, got, got kind of got smacked around by a little bit by Toledo. They lost that one 35, 23 after winning their previous two against Miami and Eastern Michigan. So seemed like the two teams here that maybe were turning the corner a little bit, able to kind of finish the season on a high note. I think Ohio still very much could be in that boat. You know, they finished or, you know, they win this game here. They finished four and four in the Mac. Um, interested to hear what you think about this one. Again, two teams coming off a little bit of a disappointing performance last week. 
Yeah, Bowling Green's just stumbling to the finish. I, I, I thought Buffalo might have been in that same track too, but Buffalo showed an inspiring performance against Northern Illinois. But Bowling Green is having the roughest finish in the MAC. They've been outscored their last two games a total of 83 to 24. They've really been non-competitive. It feels like Bowling Green gets an early score, which makes you think that they're going to be in the game. But in the last two weeks, Bowling Green has been has scored seven combined second half points. So the Falcons really haven't been able to finish games well. And Miami didn't even play that well against them. They only completed 10 out of 20 passes. Yeah. And this is a passing-based offense. And they still lost that game 34 to 7. Bowling Green had a rough showing in the passing game, which was reminiscent of their 2020 completion percentages. As a team, they finished 13 of 30. And th- yeah, they, they weren't able to stop the big plays from Miami. Miami didn't complete many passes, but they did have a 63-yard touchdown and an 83-yard touchdown pass. So limiting the big plays was a problem for Bowling Green. It was also a problem for them when they played Toledo this year. So all those, everything about the defense that was so good in that Minnesota game just seems to be missing at the moment. I mean, they got a little trade-off. It hasn't worked in their favor, but they've got a trade-off in that the run game hasn't been abysmal recently. Like the run game was solid against Miami, I thought. They just kept getting stopped on third downs in that game. And that was a crucial part of just losing 34 to seven to the Red Hawks. So I just don't have much faith in Bowling Green right now. And Ohio, I know they had that slip up against Toledo, but still Ohio's offense has shown explosivity where I can trust the Bobcats to win this game probably with ease. Curtis Rourke's played much better in recent games. Demontre Tuggle, solid running back that they have. And Isaiah Cox, Isaiah Cox, his, it's a perfect correlation with when Ohio started improving and when Isaiah Cox started showing up for this team. Yeah. So just his presence in the offense has really made things great for the Bobcats this year. They just need to work on getting more pressure and stopping the run. I know stopping the run has been a huge issue with Ohio this year, especially when they faced Brian Kobach last week. Currently, the Bobcats sit around the basement of the FBS, allowing 202 yards per game on the ground. So I don't think it'll be as big of an issue against Bowling Green. I think Ohio is going to get away with a pretty easy win in this one. Finish Tim Albin's first season strong by winning three of the final four and finishing four and eight. Not not all bad after the Duquesne loss, to be honest. Yeah, I totally agree. That was actually going to be the first thing I was going to say, Steve, is that if you could just kind of flip that Duquesne win and say that, you know, if the Bobcats would have found the way to win that game, I mean, to go five and seven, four and four in year one uh, under Coach Albin, probably not terrible, still definitely not to the what we would have expected in the preseason. But I mean, when you look at this team, they, as you mentioned, they have really uh, improved here, especially over the last month. And that Toledo game last week, such a really weird box score uh, in that game for them, to, you know, for Ohio to lose 35, 23 in that game, they get uh, 30 first downs in that game compared to Toledo's 18. They outgained the, the Rockets 445 to 401. And Steve, Ohio possessed the ball in this game for over 41 minutes. Toledo had the had possession for 18 and a half minutes in this game. 35 points. I mean, the big plays were killer for the Bobcats second or for the Bobcats defense in general in this one. I mean, we talked about Bryant Kobach in the open, uh, 9.7 yards per carry for him, 203 yards, four touchdowns. Daquan Finn also 9.3 yards per carry in this game. On top of that, you know, you had, um, 
You had Matt Landers with an 85-yard touchdown reception from Daquan Finn. Matt Landers, the, the former Georgia transfer, who's really kind of come on strong for the Rockets here in the last month. So I think that is something that is concerning if I'm a Bobcats fan, kind of the big plays uh, that they are allowing on defense. I don't know that uh, – Bowling Green necessarily has the firepower to take advantage of that. You know, Matt McDonald, he's had some good moments this season that, you know, that that uh, Buffalo game a couple weeks ago, four touchdowns, 263 yards in that one. But see, these last two weeks, you know, he was only 13 of 28 against Miami, only 108 passing yards and only 65 passing yards two weeks ago against Toledo. So, you know, you're not even averaging 100 passing yards a game right now over these last two weeks for this Bowling Green offense. They really just, as you mentioned, Steve, in all facets of the game, here over the last month or so they really seem to have regressed the defense was playing so well at the beginning of the year that hasn't been the case uh over the last month and so i i just i agree with you there's a lot more to like with ohio right now than there is with bowling green and i think your point is well taken i agree completely that that really you know the fact that that coincides with isaiah cox's return and you know him him playing well over these last month or so for the bobcats certainly uh is a, is a big factor in that so again uh the bobcats traveling to bowling green uh bowling green a five and a half point home underdog to close out the season here uh kick on black friday at noon Traveling across the state, Steve, to Kent, this is without a doubt in terms of implications. This is the game of the week in the MAC here. We got Miami taking on Kent State, a de facto MAC East championship game. Winner goes to Ford Field. Both teams six and five overall, both teams five and two in the conference. And the line reflects how tight this one might be here, Steve. This one's set as a pick 'em. Uh, the total set at 68 and a half. This one kicks off noon on Saturday on ESPN plus Steve. I, I liked what I saw from Kent state's defense on Saturday. First, uh, first game with an interim defensive coordinator. Obviously you're playing Akron. The, the Kent state defense really played much better in this one than they had previously. Their first shutout of the season, uh, first shutout in a very long time for, for this Kent state defense holding the Akron Zips to only 188 yards of offense in this one, 111 yards through the air, only 2.3 yards per carry. Again, though, obviously it's Akron. Miami coming off of that aforementioned the night that the win over Bowling Green where, you know, they, they were they were in control all game. It was never in question, but offensively they didn't play great. As you mentioned, Be Brett Gabbard only 10 for 20, uh, only finished the game with 346 total yards, well under the, their season average. Uh, curious about your thoughts on this one, Steve. Over the past month, it feels like Miami has been playing much better than Kent State has. We've talked a lot about this Kent State defense and how we do not trust them. I don't think Saturday's, or I'm sorry, I don't think, uh, yeah, Saturday's performance against Akron changes that, although certainly it was encouraging. What do you think about this one? How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I think I'm flip-flopping on this one even more than on NIU versus Western Michigan because I like Kent State when they're playing at their best better than I like Miami when they're playing at what I perceive their best. I think Kent State, when their offense is clicking, just like Western Michigan, I think when they're clicking is the best team in the MAC West. I think Kent State's the best team in the MAC East. And I, Akron's offense has been good recently. So yeah. I think that's a good defensive performance. Anytime you shut anybody out in college football, that's a really good sign. I mean, right now, what there have been. 23 FBS shutouts this year and Kent State's a part of them. They're the only Mac wow. team to shut someone out 
another FBS opponent out this season. So kudos to Kent State's defense rallying around an interim defensive coordinator doing that, forcing six sacks on the zips. And CJ West had a great game with three of those sacks. And he, when we were talking about performance of the week, that's probably a, one of those unheralded names, him from the defensive tackle position that probably should have got there because three sacks and a shutout, really good performance by CJ West in that defense. And Kent State was able to get back to their turnover forcing ways. They won the turnover battle 2-0. Dustin Crum, another week without a pick. And they, they really didn't air the ball out. Kent State yeah. stuck to what they knew best. They ran the ball and they ran it down their throats. 410 yards, four touchdowns. It felt like the VMI game all over again for Kent State. So a lot of props to Sean Lewis and his team for a bounce back performance. It was a complete 180 from the Central Michigan game. Team was able to run the ball with regularity and they were able to get the defensive stops needed to inspire confidence for the Miami game. Miami, they did not play very well against Bowling Green. And that's probably a good time to have one of your worst performances of the season from the passing perspective. Brett Gabbert and those two previous midweek games, he was lightning. And I just, I'm concerned about the Kent State defense against Miami's offense more than I am about the Miami defense against Kent State's offense. Because Miami held Lou Nichols to, I think, a season low in rushing yards. That's why Central Michigan wasn't able to do anything against Miami was Lou Nichols at game he had 21 yards on 12 carries Miami's defense really found a way to stop him I know Kent State is a little more creative in the run game than Central Michigan is I know Sean Lewis has more jet sweeps and he has these crazy RPO schemes and uh, some of these power runs that he does they're a little more complex than what Central Michigan runs but I think Miami I trust Miami with their with their front guys they played really well last week against Bowling Green you're Guys like Ivan Pace Jr. Yeah. done breakout season from the linebacker uh, position. And their defensive ends, Lonnie Phelps has done a great job of getting to the passer and getting to the running backs this year, as has uh, Cameron Butler, a longtime defensive end. So I trust Miami's defense more than Kent State's defense, even though Kent State looked good last week. So right now I'm just leaning toward Miami because they've done a lot of damage in the past game. Jack Sorensen has torn through every opponent recently, just like Lou Nichols is on his tear. Jack, uh, Jack Sorensen has six straight games with 110 or more receiving yards, and he scored in almost every one of them. So him, Matt Kippenhammer, Jalen Walker, that's a tough receiving core to guard. And Kent State, you, you got to stop a lot of guys if you're the Golden Flashes. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. Right now, I hate to say this, because I was the biggest Kent State believer preseason. I still want to be. I'm, I'm thinking the Red Hawks, I think, by I'm, a touchdown in the final minute. Oh, okay. So a very specific prediction there. I, I love that. And, and Steve, I, I completely agree with you. I have been advocating. I've been feeling like this Kent State team was underrated this entire season. I believe in the preseason odds, picks in picks to win the East Division, I believe Kent State was picked third behind Buffalo and Miami, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was Buffalo and Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. So I feel like Kent State has been a little bit undervalued all year. Um, but as you mentioned, I just, I can't trust this defense. I agree with you. That was a great, it was a good performance on, on Saturday against this Zips team who has been playing well, but I still, I just, I go back to Steve. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks now. You mentioned Jack Sorensen, Jack Sorensen, is always open and he's been playing defenses that have been much better than Kent State's and it seems like against Kent State's defense 
everybody is always open. And so I just don't, yeah, yeah. I just don't see how this Kent State secondary is going to, uh, to cover him or Mac Hippenhammer. When I look at the other side, you mentioned trusting Miami's defense more. I agree completely. This is a team, you know, they're second in the Mac in rushing defense. They're only giving up 137 rushing yards per game. Kent State, obviously, they're very dynamic offensively, as evidence. You know, they uh, they barely had to throw the ball on Saturday. Dustin Crum only eight for thirteen for fifty five yards. The reason for that, though, because they had fifty two carries for four hundred and ten yards, basically eight yards a carry, four touchdowns. Marquez Cooper has been great. Brian Bradford got back into the action a little bit in the run game on Saturday. He had sixty six yards in a touchdown. As you know, much bigger back, a little bit of a change of change of pace for them. And then obviously Dustin Crum with kind of that dual threat element to his game. I just, this Red Hawks defense, I trust them much more than I trust the Kent State defense or the Kent State offense, too. That's the thing about Kent State's offense. They're, 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 they, they go through these stretches where they're prone to turnovers, where, you know, if things aren't working well for them, they, they, they tend to kind of get behind the chains a little bit. They, they're, they're heavily penalized. And so I think because of all of those factors, while Kent State, I agree with you, when they're at their best, I like them more than Miami. I just feel like with what we've seen from both of these teams over the last month, Miami feels like the team to me that's playing better right now and is a more complete team. Um, I think I, I like the Red Hawks here, Steve. I think the Red Hawks are going to get back to Ford Field and we're looking at a, a, a Miami-Northern Illinois MAC championship game in two weeks. I think that's that's how I see this. I, 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 I just, again... I echo your points. I think I trust Miami's defense much more than I do Kent State's defense. And uh, I think that's going to be the, the the deciding factor in this game. So, again, this one kicks uh, Saturday at noon on ESPN Plus appointment television. If you're a Mac fan, uh, Kent State uh, and Miami, uh, this game set as a pick em, the total at 68 and a half on Saturday at Dick Stadium in Kent. I have a stat right now before we move on. Kent yeah. State, they're 6-5 and five this season. They have five losses. They have not lost a game by fewer than 21 points. Yeah. Their five losses are by an average of 26.4 points. So Kent State, when the game's close, they have been able to emerge on top. Like the NIU game, they won by one score. Ohio, they won by one score. Bowling Green, they won by one score. Now Buffalo game was also a close game throughout. So the close game has favored Kent State. But when Kent State loses, they lose big. Yeah. They, they get blown out. And usually – if you look at all those games that they've lost this year, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, Maryland, Iowa, and A&M, they were in the game for the first half. And then the second half, the wheels just fall off. So it's like a formula. It's like every time Kent State loses, they lose in the same exact fashion where they, they show competitiveness in the first half, especially sort of on the defensive end too. And then just everything just falls apart in the second half and they get blown out. So Kent State yeah. always loses in the same fashion, but the team's been able to win when it's been close this year and they're undefeated against the Mac East. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true, Steve. And it, it's, you know, I was thinking about this the other way. It's like, it seems like turnovers are always involved in, in those instances for Kent state. And I think for a team like Kent state, when your defense is so poor and stops are so hard to come by a turnover from your offense can be so especially deflating, right? Mm -hmm. Because you put your defense in a bad position can turn up, you know, you give up, you know, two scores in a, a short span because of a turnover that seems to be what kind of happens. And it's almost a snowball effect for the golden flashes. So if they can avoid turning the ball over on sat on, uh, on Saturday in this one, they they'll, they'll give themselves a chance. We'll see. Last game of the weekend here, 
to uh, to preview. We got the Akron Zips traveling to Northwest Ohio to take on Toledo at the Glass Bowl. The Rockets a 28 and a half point favorite in this one. The total set at 57 and a half. This one kicks Saturday at noon on ESPN Plus. Uh, Steve Toledo with a nice performance uh, last week. I know there's a lot of people who coming into this game felt like Ohio might steal a win here with the way that they had been playing recently. But the uh, the, the Toledo uh, rushing attack really kind of came came alive in this one. We've talked about Brian Kobach, the team uh, total, you know, gave us uh, 250 rushing yards on this one. And uh, so uh, Toledo kind of seems like they kind of regained their footing here, looking to get their seventh win uh, and find, you know, kind of solidify their bowl standing on the other sideline, obviously Akron, uh, not a lot of uh, positives to take from the Kent state game and, or, you know, with the wagon wheel, it's a rivalry game. And uh, you know, the, the offense just couldn't get anything going. They kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times there in the first half with a, you know, a, a, a dropped touchdown from, from Michael Matheson and a fumble from Kanata Mumfield that, put the, the golden flashes with, with uh, the ball near midfield kind of Kent state ran away from them a little bit in this one uh, as the spread would indicate, doesn't seem like this one will be too close. It seems like Akron's kind of starting to look towards next season. Obviously they're going to have to name a new head coach here over the next few weeks uh, with uh, Oscar Rodriguez jr. Being the, the interim coach here over the last couple of weeks. I don't know. What do you see here, Steve? I mean, do you, do you see a path to success for Akron in this one? Or do you feel like uh, this is, this one's going to be a runaway? I think it's headed toward runaway territory. You look at the way Bryant Kobach's been running the football recently, and he had that 203-yard, four-touchdown performance last week. Just a couple weeks ago, he had 180 and two touchdowns. And Kobach's not even getting that many carries. He's hardly broken 20 carries in a game this year, and he's producing numbers with that at at over 1,100 yards right now. So it's not like Kobach's getting like Lou Nichols-type handoffs or what Jarrett Patterson got when he's Buffalo. He's doing the most out of limited action in the run game. And after seeing what Kent State did to Akron's run defense last week, I have full faith in Toledo, especially when you have a dual threat quarterback like Daquan Finn, who's really shown the ability to get long touchdown runs this year. I think Toledo is going to run all over them. Akron has the third worst rushing defense in the country. Only Kansas and Arkansas State allow more than 246 yards per game. Also, it, it just feels tough to sustain success when you have an interim coach. Every once in a while, we'll get a good performance and like one strong win. I think Akron's good performance was against Western Michigan. And then last week, everything fell apart for them. I mean, you look at other teams across the country, Texas Tech, they did have that nice win over Iowa State. And then what happens? They, they get shut out by Oklahoma State. And you're seeing these teams just a trend across the nation. These teams like USC with interim coaches just get beaten down week after week and they're shells of themselves. And I think Akron... I think they might be a shell of their full potential at this point. Zach Gibson, he's an incredible story. I think Zach Gibson's played really good quarterbacking this year. I think, I don't know if he has the most, I'd have to look it up, but 157 attempts this year without an interception has to be up there for most attempts without a pick for a quarterback. He's really grown this year. Yeah. He has 10 touchdowns, zero picks, 69.4% completion percentage. Wasn't his best game last week. But we saw what he did against Western Michigan and Ball State. He's had some really good quarterback play recently. Akron, they just weren't able to move the ball on offense last week. And Toledo is as strong as any defense in the MAC in my mind. Toledo did a really good job of pressuring Curtis Rourke last week. They got five sacks in there. And they were also able to 
limit Ohio's run game as Demontre Tuggle just led the team with 64 yards. So I, I think Toledo's defense is going to make their mark. I think Brian Kobach and DeGuan Finn are going to make their mark in the rushing game. I think Toledo runs away with this game. And although the if you asked me like a week ago about a 28 and a half point spread involving Akron and Toledo, I'd say Akron's an easy cover. But at this point, I, I think Akron's best football is behind them. And I think Toledo is going to breeze to their seventh victory of the year. Yeah, I, I agree, Steve. I think, you know, to your point about interim coaches, I feel like sometimes you run into a scenario when it's like you have an, you get an interim coach named and maybe there's like an initial bump in performance. You know, you mentioned with, you know, the Texas Tech example and even with Akron, you know, uh, the first two games here with, with Coach Rodriguez at the helm, you know, you give, you give Ball State and Western Michigan all they can handle. But, ascent, but eventually that kind of wears off, right? And things come back down. State defense. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. So that's, uh, that's a great point, actually. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that's kind of what we're seeing with, with Akron here. You look at Akron offensively, they're, they're, they can't, they're, you know, they're not able to run the ball well. The offensive line is, is not uh, great in, in run blocking, although John Del Norris has had some success. Obviously, Akron's going to want to pass the ball. They're going to want to get Matheson and Mumfield involved. On the other side, though, you got Toledo's pass defense first in the MAC, only giving up 193 yards per game. I think the other thing in this game about this matchup that does not bode well for the uh, the zips is you look at Daquan Finn and kind of the dual threat nature of his game and what he brings from a from a quarterback perspective, very similar to what Dustin Crum does for Kent State and Dustin Crum in the run game against this Akron defense this past Saturday, he did whatever he wanted to do. Nine carries, 114 yards, two touchdowns. A lot of the time he would take off and run. He wasn't even getting touched until he was 10 yards down the field. So I think uh, you're going to see something similar to what uh, Kent State did offensively. I think you're going to get Daquan Finn in a lot of read option situations, get him the ball in space, allow him to use his legs. And if they're able to do that, the Rockets meaning, um, you know, if they're able to do that, I, I don't see Akron with much success defensively in this game. I don't see them able to move the ball on this Toledo defense, which has been very good uh, despite the up and down season that the Rockets have had here. So I'm with you. This one does not feel like a competitive game to me. I think Toledo uh, gets the win here and gets to seven wins uh, in a rematch of the, uh, the 2017 Mac championship game. The last time the Rockets won the conference. So that is the, the last regular season game of the season for the Mac this year. Hard to believe I'm even saying that this is our last week of the season. Um, hard to believe I'm saying that as well. It seems like it always flies by so fast. Steve, let's take a look as is tradition here on the show every week. Let's uh, take a look at the rest of the slate here. We've talked about it a lot. This is one of the best weeks of the year. We got games all week, intriguing games all week, a lot of interesting rivalry matchups, a lot of interesting games with big implications this weekend. Uh, we got games Thursday. We got games Friday. We got games Saturday. Uh, in addition to, the obviously, the MAC games we got on Tuesday night. What are you looking at outside of the MAC here this week? What's on your radar, Steve? I'm going to start with two games. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of watch, watch party experiences, like some of the most fun I've ever had watching a football game. And I think the 2019 Egg Bowl, watching that after Thanksgiving dinner at my yeah. cousin's house in a room uh, full, of, we were just looking for a funny, weird college football game. And that final drive of the Egg Bowl was the <laughs> yep. funniest thing. And it ended up with the Elijah Moore penalty of peeing like a dog, and then he got flagged for it. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. Then that Ole Miss misses the extra point. It was the funniest possible ending. And now the Egg Bowl is even more enhanced when you have Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin as the head coaches 
of their respective programs. So the Egg Bowl is must-watch television every year after Thanksgiving, and it, it's definitely high on my list. One other game I want to put there is the Bowl Eligibility Bowl. I'm sorry, this is a very sicko's pick of me, but Florida versus Florida State, five and six versus five and six, Bowl Eligibility on the line. I could not ask more from this Sunshine State rivalry. This is a perfect scenario. The winner gets a bull bid. The loser probably is going to get mocked into oblivion. It is a hilarious scenario for college football. And those two rivalries are definitely on the top of my list this week. Totally agree with both of those picks. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting – that Florida-Florida State game is going to be very, very interesting, uh, especially given Dan Mullen's recent, uh, recent departure. Um, first, first game at the top of the list for me here, Steve, big implications and awesome rivalry game, the civil war, the ducks mm-hmm. traveling to Corvallis to take on Oregon state. I, you know, I watched Steve, I watched Oregon state's game against Arizona state late Saturday night, that late night pack 12 action. I really love what I see. I love what Jonathan Smith has done with the, the Beavers this year. The Beavers sitting at seven and four, five and three in the conference with Oregon's loss to Utah on Saturday, Steve. A lot of people might not realize this, but if Oregon State beats Oregon and Washington State loses to Washington in the Apple Cup, the Beavers are going to the Pac-12 championship game. I love this story. I love what I have seen from Oregon State all year. They're an entertaining team. B.J. Baylor at running back, I really like him. This defense is good. I love what I'm seeing in Corvallis right now. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I, the Apple Cup, or I'm sorry, not the Apple Cup, the Civil War to me, always one of my favorite rivalry games, especially this year given the implications. Oh, yeah. That one, yeah, the Apple Cup is always weird because no matter how good Washington State is, it always feels like Washington gets the victory. So that'll Agreed. be an interesting one. But yeah, Oregon, Oregon State. The Beavers are playing good football right now. Oregon is banged up, and they just got blown out by Utah. Took a huge hit to their CFP chances. Kind of revenge what Utah did for what Oregon did to Utah in 2019 in the Pac-12 title game. So the Pac-12 is up for grabs. I think a four-loss Oregon State in the Rose Bowl would be the funniest scenario of this season. Yeah. A team that lost to Colorado and Cal nonetheless. I know Oregon State. Oregon State, all they had to do was like win one of those games, and they'd be playing for the Pac-12 championship next week. I think they might they need a little help from Washington, Washington State, but I don't know what happens if Washington wins that game because I think Washington State's still alive. And I think if so, there's a tiebreaker that goes to Yeah, so actually Peter. crazy. If, um, if Oregon State and Washington State both win on Saturday, Washington State is actually going to the Pac-12. So Oregon is losing out. That's... Yes. That's crazy that Oregon, who was in the CFP position just a couple of days ago, could not be could be passed up for a four loss team in the Pac-12 title game. That is insane. Yeah, it really is. What what a crazy year this has been. I, I know you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, kind of almost approaching 2007 territory. I don't think I think we I don't know. We're a couple upsets mm. ups, upsets away this weekend from getting there. Uh, so and there, there's there's cer- certainly some culprits here. Um, any other games? Anything else uh, you're looking at for this weekend? Oh, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan. I yeah. mean, it's, it's hyped up every few years. You'll get a really good Michigan team like we did in 2016 and 2018, where the game gets a little more hyped up than normal. And Ohio State still finds a way to win. After what CJ Stroud dropping six passes on 32 of 35 completion and a half last week. Yeah. Ohio State's offense is the most dominant unit in the country other than Georgia's defense. And 
I'm going to pick Ohio State until they give me a reason not to pick them. But still, it's it's worthwhile television to watch because they're just two highly ranked teams. Also, I guess the the Walmart brand version of Mich- uh, Michigan Ohio State this week in terms of Big Ten rivalries. One of my favorite weird rivalry trophies in college football is the Land Grant Trophy. It mm-hmm. is just an abomination, but it's beautiful. <laughs> and Penn State Michigan State can be an interesting game. Because I, I want to see how far off Michigan State really has fallen. If that Michigan loss, uh, if that Ohio State loss really gets to them, if Kenneth Walker can regain footing and still be a Heisman finalist in New York, and then Penn State, they've been an intriguing team all year. They haven't been blown out yet. They have a really good defense and offensively. I, I want to see what Penn State's able to do against Michigan State. They might be starting a new quarterback for this game. I haven't seen if Sean Clifford or. Bayou start or Christian Bayou starting yet for the Nittany Lions. So I think that's an interesting game. And then if I throw one more Bedlam. Yeah. Can Oklahoma State finally, all the cards are set up for an Oklahoma State win for wants. Can they do it? Yeah. <laughs> I know Be- Bedlam was going to be my next pick as well. I, I love yeah. it's that's similar to what you were saying about the, you know, the apple cup with Washington state and Washington, this feels similar to me where it's like, no matter how good Oklahoma state is, they can never win this game. And, hmm. and it feels like this year, uh, this year is like, I mean, I feel like Oklahoma state is a team that a lot of people aren't talking about, but I, I think that a path to me, it's a, it's, it's an outside shot, but to me, a path still exists for Oklahoma state to get into the playoff. And it's, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's a likely thing to happen, but if they win this game uh, against the, the Sooners on Saturday and they win the big 12 championship as a one loss, big 12 champ, I don't see how they get kept out. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think Oklahoma state should be undefeated right now, because first of all, that Iowa state game, they got hosed by the refs. I think, yeah. I think that was a first down that they got, but it was weird. Cause they, they really didn't have the camera angle to prove it. I, I can't explain it. It was clearly a first down, but they didn't have the camera angle to prove it. So Oklahoma state should be undefeated right now. They have a fantastic defense recorded a shutout last week on Texas tech. Offensively, they're really sporadic. Sometimes Spencer Sanders and the offense shows up. Sometimes they don't. And they've had some questionable performances this year, like beating an FCS team by six, not escaping Tulsa until the fourth quarter. So Oklahoma State hasn't always been on their best this year. And usually they get Oklahoma just destroys them offensively. So Oklahoma State has a great defense this year. So that could flip things up in Oklahoma. They only scored 28 on Iowa State. They scored 14 on Baylor. It's not been the best offense for the Sooners recently, but I don't know. Just I've seen this movie before. It feels like a good Oklahoma State team, except for like 2011, still finds a way to lose to Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, 2014, I think, was our most recent exception when Tyreek Hill had that punt return to tie yes. it regulation. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. And Oklahoma State, their path to the playoff would have to involve Houston or I guess ECU beating Cincinnati. You'd have to have Wisconsin probably winning the Big Ten title game. And you have to have a lot of chaos there because I think Bama and Georgia are locks no matter what. And I think, yeah, Ohio State-Michigan winner feels like they'll probably win the Big Ten and they'll be a lock there too. So then Notre Dame. Right. Notre Dame's going to beat Stanford. They're going to be 11-1. and even if Cincinnati slips up, I think Notre Dame would still slide above Cincinnati and get that spot. Yeah, too much has to happen where I think Oklahoma State's chances are almost slim to none at this point, even though they've had an incredible season. Mike Gundy does it every year. He never yeah. has a losing season. You see these guys have like one off year. 
like Dan Mullen or Coach O, they get fired. Mike Gundy never does that. True. It's so true. It's so true. He'll be he'll be uh, as an as a as an alum as well. You know, it's like you know, they'll have to they'll have to wheel him out of. Oklahoma State when he can, when he can't uh, when he can't coach anymore so uh, yeah really some some great games this weekend always one of the best weekends of the season so many games with great implications and so many great historic rivalries that take place here on the last Saturday of the football season so um, that'll wrap it up for our football uh, segment of the show this week we'll be back on the other side of this uh, this commercial break uh, myself and Vansy breaking down the week in MAC basketball next week we will be back to give a preview of the MAC championship game at Ford Field. Northern Illinois locked in in the West. Kent State and Miami going to battle it out for uh, the East berth to Ford Field here this Saturday. Looking forward to breaking down that one for you next week. Um, as always, thanks for tuning in. That'll close it up for the football segment here this week. We'll be back on the other side of this break with, uh, with basketball. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Welcome back into the show. As always, going to close out the show with this little uh, breakdown of the week that was in Mac basketball. Joining me as always, fellow Hustle Belter, Zach Van Wenzi, coming to us live from Southeast Michigan. Vanzi, how you doing on this fine morning, man? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Just uh, hanging out, you know, ready to get this going. Um, I do want to say that uh, we've, you know, lately with uh, the Hustle Belt, you know, you got Maction for football. Uh, you know, they're trying to make this Maxketball happen, you know. Ah, uh, Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, it's kind of like fetch from Mean Girls. We're going to try to make it happen and see if it happens. But <laughs> yeah, well, I love, a, love a good Mean Girls reference here. So, uh, so yeah, Vansy, let's, uh, let's get into it here, man. We'll start on the men's side of the fence here this, this evening or, uh, you know, this week. Um, you know, we had, I, we talked a little bit last week, had what we felt was a pretty strong start to the season through week one. You know, we had. Uh, you know, Miami goes down to Georgia Tech, knocks them off. Northern Illinois goes out west, beats Washington. So it was a good start to the season, a good first week for the MAC. A little bit of a rougher week here in week two. What were your general impressions uh, of this of this week on the hardwood? Yeah, I, I think when I was going over the the top performances, you know, and kind of seeing what had happened. I mean, obviously Buffalo, you know, against North Texas, you know, they, that's an NCAA team there in, uh, in North Texas that went to the second round last year. So that's a nice victory. But other than that, the better performances might've been in defeat, you know, Northern Illinois, you know, competing with Missouri. And then, you know, they ended up losing that one uh, rather handedly, you know, at, at, towards the end there. And then Ohio competing with Kentucky, for probably three quarters of that game, you know, and, but still they, they dropped that one. So, you know, I think you kind of look at it, you have that one Buffalo victory against another good mid-major. And then other than that, you know, a couple losses. I mean, there's some other ones mixed in there, central Michigan with the buzzer beater and in Eastern Michigan uh, against a good Northern Kentucky team, you know, but um, other than that, it really was not a uh, very banner week for the Mac. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you there. A lot of uh, a lot of games that the MAC could have won that they had, you know, they let slip away. You mentioned that Eastern Michigan game against Northern Kentucky. 
I know as an EMU alum for you, I'm sure that one was, that one was a heartbreaker to watch. And, but, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Northern Illinois and I wanted to touch on them for a second because I feel like, you know, I was going back and forth with some people on, on Twitter here earlier this week. And one thing that I think I am encouraged by so far through the season, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but, but the teams that were picked at, at the bottom of the standings with, with Western Michigan probably being the exception there, you know, but you look at Eastern Michigan, you look at Central Michigan, you look at Northern Illinois, I think all three of those teams have played pretty well so far through two weeks. You know, you mentioned that Northern Illinois game where, you know, they, they go down to, uh, to Columbia and take on Missouri. As you mentioned, you know, they, they only, uh, you know, they, they limit Missouri to 54 points in that game, which, you know, anytime you're going to hold your opponent to 54 points, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. But, you know, the Huskies just went ice cold there in the second half. You know, I, you know they're up, you know, the game's tied with 10 minutes left. And the Huskies only score five points, you know, through the final 10 minutes of the game. They only shoot 24% from the field. But the thing I wanted to say, you know, about Northern Illinois specifically, offensively, it's it's going to be a struggle for them this year. You know, they're, they're last in the MAC in points per game. They're only averaging 52 points per game, only shooting 32% from the field. But they're playing really good defense, and that's going to give them a chance to win. You look at, you know, you know I mean, Central Michigan had that nice buzzer beater against Eastern Illinois. So I still do think uh, there, there are some things to, uh, to, to, to look at that you can be encouraged by from, from the bottom of the conference. And you mentioned that Buffalo win over Northern Illinois as well. Um, were, were there, was there any specific uh, performance in there that kind of stuck out to you that you felt was uh, something that you didn't expect or that was especially impressive to you? Uh, I would say, you know, Jermaine Jackson at Central Michigan, he kind of keeps jumping out at me, you know, the he's a transfer, um, you know, obviously the son of the original Jermaine Jackson, um, yeah. you know, he's he's had a good season, um, he's put up some points, uh, you know, Central Michigan, I mean, obviously on that buzzer beater that came off of the Christian Leitner type pass, um, you know, I think he's a guy that's going to be around all season, and you're going to keep hearing the name, and I think at the end of the year, you know, you're going to have him up there in, in some contention for all Mac type honors. Um, he really seems to be kind of like the focal point of that offense there in central Michigan. Um, you know, really for the most part, you know, you're just starting to see kind of the cream, you know, the, the conference kind of just rise up. And, you know, I'd say like Buffalo, you know, I think I feel yeah. pretty confident that Buffalo is going to be here all year. Um, Ohio, I think you can feel confident that Ohio is going to be here all year. And you do see that parity uh, kind of showing through with the conference. NIU's great defense. Eastern Michigan's looking strong. Um, I think Central Michigan's going to win, you know, their share of games, um, you know, with the exception of Western. Everybody there seems to have had some moments this year. And, uh, you know, the individual performances are, are starting to shine through as well. And uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to follow. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, one other team that I have been impressed by so far that I, I did want to give a quick shout out to Miami Redhawks sitting at the top of the conference right now, 4-0. They got a win yesterday. Obviously, you're playing a Division II team yesterday against Heidelberg. So not going to put too much stock into that win. But, you know, we, I mentioned in the intro, you know, they opened up their season. They go down to Georgia Tech, get a win in Atlanta on the road against an ACC team. 
They follow that up by putting 104 points on Lamar. They beat Stetson earlier this week, 80 to 65. Neither of those two teams going to be confused for powerhouses either. But I still think, you know, Miami, they're beating the teams that they should beat. They're currently, right now, the Red Hawks, second in the MAC in, in scoring. They're averaging 86 and a half points per game. Also, second in the MAC in field goal percentage. They're shooting basically 50% from the field, 49.8% from the field. They also, the thing I like about their team is they're doing it. It's a team oriented game for them on offense. The top two leaders in the Mac in assists per game right now are both on the Red Hawks. Isaiah Coleman lands leading the Mac with 5.3 points per game, or I'm sorry, assists per game. Day-Day Grant following him up right on his heels at four and a half points per game. Day-Day Grant also uh, fifth in the conference at 17.3 points per game. I don't know your thoughts, Vans. I don't know if you've gotten to watch them much at all, but I've been really impressed. Again, this is a Miami team that was, you know, picked seventh in the preseason poll in the MAC, and uh, through through four games so far, I've, I've really liked, uh, you know, what I've uh, what I've seen from them. And wasn't a team that anybody expected too much from. Will kind of look like a middle of the pack team here at the beginning of the season. But I've liked what I've seen from the Red Hawks so far. Well, and you mentioned her victory against Heidelberg, and I just want to touch on that real quick. The Heidelberg Student Princess. You what know, a I, name. I, I tweeted that out on the Hustlebelt account, and, and that's just a, a fantastic name. Um, you know, obviously not too impressive of a victory there, you know, uh, other than the name. But, yeah, I do think you're looking at Miami and their head coach, Jack Owens, coming from Purdue. Yeah. This was a guy, you know, the coach for a few years. Uh, he interviewed, you know, for several head coaching jobs and was very highly regarded. It's taken a little bit, uh, COVID year thrown in, all that to kind of get it going. But Miami is a team or a school historically, which can win some basketball games. Uh, you know, the late, great Charlie Coles was there for some time. And, yeah. uh, you know, Wally Zerbiak, you know, yeah. there. So, you know, they're, they're a low key, you know, basketball school. Uh, you know, which, I mean, I think you look at, you talk about NIU with their defense. Well, now you're talking about Miami with their offense and, you know, in the Mac, I feel like if you can be really good at one or the other, you have a chance, you know, and, and we'll see once we turn into December here before too long and, and into the Mac schedule. Yeah, no doubt. And you look at Miami's schedule, uh, you know, the rest of, you know, throughout December here, a couple of really big opportunities for the Red Hawks here over the next couple of weeks. December 1st, the Cincinnati Bearcats come to Oxford. Big rivalry game there. Big game for the, uh, the fan base. Uh, the Bearcats come into Millet Hall on December 1st there. Uh, you know, that'll be a big game for this fan base. And then also later in December, a couple of weeks later, December 14th, they go down to Clemson to take on the Clemson Tigers, who Clemson, a team that's been in, in and out of the NCAA tournament here over the last handful of years with Brad Brownell there at the, at the helm. So a couple opportunities for them to pick up a couple more nice victories uh, before conference play starts. Let's look at the other side of the coin here, Vanzi. You know, we, we talked about some good performances this week, but we also mentioned kind of a down week overall for the Mac. And, um, you know, let's, let's, let's start with, uh, with, with the worst of it. Western Michigan, you know, what, what do you say? I mean, they, 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 take, uh, they take on Saginaw Valley State, a Division II team uh, this past week on, uh, what was that, on Wednesday? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Thursday. The Cardinals come in to Kalamazoo. And they whoop the Broncos, 80 to 63, your final score. I mean, you know, the Cardinals come in here. They, they allow uh, – Western Michigan allows Saginaw Valley State to shoot 50% from the field, 45% from three. Oh, they turned the ball over 15 times. 
looking like it's going to be a long year in Kalamazoo, Van. Well, yeah, and I, I really, I mean, I don't want to go too hard at Western Michigan, but I just, it is embarrassing right now. Um, you know, you had this, that's a proud program out there, like Kalamazoo people back in the height of the Steve Hawkins era, but you have Steve Hawkins, who is there, who's now coaching high school basketball out there, I believe Portage Northern, but um, you know, you have Steve Hawkins, everybody loves Steve Hawkins, well-respected former UCLA assistant, you know, put his heart and soul into that program. They, you know, they kind of look at the money he's due. They don't want to put money into the program. They go to Clayton Bates, who was his assistant. You know, if you're going to make a change after all this time, why go with the assistant coach for any reason other than you're trying to save money? And that's what it's looked like. They've had mass transfers. Um, you know, right now they have Beardis White and all Mac uh, guard who's out with an injury. So that hurts them. Um, but they were outclassed in every sense of the word against Saginaw Valley State. You know, if this was European soccer and we had relegation, you know, <laughs> Western Michigan would be into GLAC, you know, right now. But I mean, it, it, you know, Lamar Morgan goes for 25 and that's still not even enough. Uh, I believe they had 15 turnovers. You know, they yeah. did out rebound Saginaw Valley State. I watched a little bit of that game and Saginaw Valley State was in general up by, you know, about 11 points most of the game. Um, just not even close. Um, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, right now, Western Michigan's only victory on the season is against division three hope college. And I mean, obviously, you know, Michigan state, that's a, that's a tough one to get a victory from, but yeah, I mean, five and 16 a year ago, yeesh, you know, not looking good. Yeah, not at all. And, you know, you mentioned the Broncos of being a proud program. You only got to go back to 2014. Now I know in college athletics and college basketball, seven years can be an eternity, you go back to 2014, this team was in the NCAA tournament. Even the year after that, in 2015, this team won 20 games. This was a good program not that long ago. And as you mentioned, you know, it seems as if uh, they're, they're, they're worried a little bit more about the budget and the financials of it than they are about the product on the court there at Western Michigan, which is unfortunate. So I don't know. It's going to be a long year, it looks like, for, uh, for Western Michigan there. You know, and, and Vansy, another team that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about right now, if I'm a fan of them, is that uh, I, you know, I've got a chance to watch them play twice right now. And I've, I've been a little bit underwhelmed with what I've seen from Ball State. Uh, you know, they, they play two games this week against what you would consider uh, equal competition. You know, they go down to, um, to Florida. They're playing in one of those, you know, multi-team events down there at the MacArthur Center outside of Tampa Bay. They play Florida International uh, and, and Weber State on back-to-back -back days. Florida International, an average program out of Conference USA. Ball State, you know, can't, can't hang with them. They end up losing that game by 13 points. The Cardinals only shoot 39% from the field in that game, and also four for 13 from the free throw line. I, I look at Ball State, and I'm, I'm starting to get concerned in the sense of, I don't know where the points are going to come from for this team. You know, right now, they're only averaging 69 points a game. They're only shooting 41% from the field shooting 57% from the free throw line. This is a team, you know, you got Luke Bumbleo coming back, your, your leading returning score from last year. He's averaging 12.8 points per game. You got Jalen Windham averaging 11.3. Those are your only guys giving you double-digit points every night. And you think back to last season, 
everyone of consequence on that team with Bumbleo being the exception. They're all gone. Ish Elamine transferred to Rhode Island. Jerron Coleman transferred to uh, Missouri. K.J. Walton transferred within the conference. He's playing for John Gross at Akron right now. This is a team, you know, picked eighth in the conference at the beginning of the season. So expectations weren't too high. But, you know, I, I got to be honest, Fancy. I'm not sure. Again, when I look at this team offensively, I don't know where the offense is going to come from. And you could probably say the same thing about Northern Illinois, but at least with Northern Illinois, you know you're going to get great defense every night. And the effort on that side of the floor for the Cardinals has been a little bit uh, hit or miss uh, right now. So I think through two weeks for me, Ball State uh, has, has been a little bit disappointing. They have some interesting games coming up. You know, they play Indiana State, an in-state rivalry game coming up next week. They go to Xavier in a couple of weeks. There's going to be some chances for them to turn it around. But I don't know, Vansy. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the Cardinals. They haven't done a ton to me uh, for me so far that that I have uh, you know felt good about though. Yeah, and I mean, you know, anytime you're talking about an Indiana uh, collegiate program, you know that there's a lot of you know fan support and interest there, and you know they play in one of the cooler arenas, you know, kind of a historic vibe there. Um, but you know, you talk about these teams, you know, Central, NIU, Eastern, you know, playing competitive, and they were picked at the bottom of the conference. And when you look at teams like that, who are seen to be taking that step forward, well, somebody else has to kind of, you know, fill that spot in the standings. And yeah. right now I'm ball state. I'm concerned. It's still very early. Um, you know, you talk about their, their losses right now, and who's to say that those weren't, you know, I mean, maybe they're just exceptional mid-majors who may surprise you and make the NCAA tournament or, or have impressive seasons. But definitely Ball State, I think right now, I mean, you know, we don't really do a hustle belt power rankings, but they would definitely be in that bottom third right now. Um, you know, they've had a lot of players transfer out, transfer, you know, players transferring out, graduations. They had uh, at least one or two guys, you know, medically retire you know, yeah. just bad backs, bad whatever. So, you know, it's it could just be a rebuilding season there, um, you know, and it, it just feels like they've been close. They haven't been able to get over that hump, usually in that third or fourth, fifth, sixth range in the MAC. But this year right now, I think if you're Ball State, you have to be concerned that they're going to take another step back in the standings. Yeah, no doubt. And, and it is, it's, it's unfortunate because it felt like last year at the end of the season, the Cardinals were playing really good. And if they could have got some of those guys back, uh, it, it felt like they could be a team that can compete this year. But as I mentioned, you know, everyone of consequence is gone. They all transferred. So uh, going to be a tough, tough year for, for James Whitford if he wants to build this team back up. And uh, we'll see what he's able to do. Obviously, having been at Ball State now since 2013, might be his toughest coaching job this year. Uh, a, quite, a, quite a hill to climb, replacing all of that talent in one season. Let's take a look at the week ahead here, Vanzi. Uh, some interesting matchups on the docket here. Obviously, it's Thanksgiving week, so we got tons of, you know, uh, non-conference, you know, preseason tournaments going on and stuff like that. A lot of opportunities for MAC uh, teams to get some interesting victories this week. Any games on the calendar that you have circled? Well, now, first off, if you're you're a fan uh, of of Maxketball uh, or any of these teams coming up this week, check your local listings. I mean, it's Thanksgiving week. You're gonna have teams. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I think Eastern plays at 3 p.m. on uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and you're you're just gonna have all these different tournaments, different start times. So definitely, you know, don't just set your DVR and, and expect it to record or or make sure you're <laughs> in the ESPN Plus because a lot of weird times. And uh, the one that kind of stood out to me, uh, I like Marquette against Northern Illinois. 
you know, yeah. but I, I just think, you know, I've watched Marquette a little bit lately, uh, you know, Shaka Smart is there now, you know, they go up and down and, and uh, you know, they, uh, I think that's going to be a good defensive matchup, you know, and that's, that's two schools, which are, you know, in the same footprint out there. Um, and Marquette's always a great watch. I love their, their branding and then their Jersey colors and all of that. But again, I mean, you know, Northern Illinois, you just a treacherous non-conference schedule. You know, they are definitely, yeah. you can tell that they are trying to pump some money into that program um, with that non-conference schedule. And uh, again, you know, um, they already broke through against Washington. Let's see if they can break through again uh, there against Marquette. Great. That's a, that's a great one. And I, I agree with you completely. A very interesting name. And I also love uh, your your. I agree with you completely on Marquette. In my opinion, one of, if not the best set of uniforms in college basketball, if you ask me when it comes to the Golden Eagles, obviously the first year under Shaka Smart there. I also, you mentioned, you know, the, the you know, this entire week, you're exactly right. You look at the, the, the schedule for, you know, Monday through Wednesday, you got games tipping off at 11 a.m. Eastern and going all day this week. So if you're a hoops junkie, this is the week for you. But, you know, a couple interesting uh, matchups to me, um, both actually on, on Monday evening, you know, I'm always very interested to see how the Mac, uh, shapes up against former, or I should say fellow, um, you know, quote unquote, mid-major conferences. You got Toledo here, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, picked preseason third in the Mac Monday, you know, they take on Charlotte down at the, uh, at a, at a tournament down actually in, in the Bahamas, Charlotte starts a season three and zero from conference USA. Uh, Toledo with an underwhelming performance the other night against Oakland, where they went up to, to take on the Golden Grizzlies and, and, and uh, ended up losing that game by about 20 points. But a couple interesting wins for them prior to that. They come in at two and one. You know, they beat Valpo on the road to open the season, and they also beat uh, Detroit Mercy. So, you know, Toledo with Ryan Rollins and, uh, and, and, and JT Shumate, uh with, the, you know, going down to uh, the Bahamas for uh, the Nassau Championship. And I'm, I'm curious to see how they look against a, a Conference USA team like Charlotte, who, you know, um, has had a, a couple of down years, but they're still kind of a, a middle of the pack conference USA team. So I'm curious to see how the Mac matches up in that regard. Also on Monday night. Now this one's going to be an, obviously a, a, a very tall task, but it's always an awesome thing when you get to play the number one team in the country, central Michigan goes out to Vegas for the good Sam empire classic and their reward for that. They get to take on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, Gonzaga four and oh, they just beat Bellarmine by 42 the other night. Um, might be a tall task for Central Michigan, but as we mentioned, you know, they're, they're, Central Michigan has impressed us a little bit so far. Jermaine Jackson's playing well. They got that awesome buzzer beater the other night uh, against Eastern Illinois. I obviously don't expect Central Michigan to win this game. They're going to be an underdog of probably somewhere between 25 and 30 points in this game. But anytime you get the chance to play the number one team in the country, you got to relish that. I'm curious to see how the, the, the Chippewas come out and look. Drew, Drew, Timmy, uh, Chet Holmgren. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, Chet may score or, or Drew, Timmy, they may score more than central. Those two guys right there, <laughs> yes. I mean, those two guys, uh, you know, Holmgren, he might be the number one overall player in next year's NBA draft. Uh, so that's going to be just, you know, that's going to be a, a tall task for central Michigan. Um, you know, you look at the upcoming week in, I'm just hoping I look at it. Hopefully the Mac can go better than eight and 10 with three yeah. wins against non-division one teams. Cause last week was kind of a little bit of a buzzkill. 
you know, so hopefully they can get some impressive wins. And, you know, my goal for this year, I want to see a two bid Mac, you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament and uh, you know, you got to get some of these non-conference wins to get to that point. That's I agree completely. Got to, I got to get some power six victories out of conference. If, uh, if you want to build that, you know, profile of the league up, let's move over to the women's side here to close out Vansy. While it's been a little bit of a disappointing uh, week for, for, for men's basketball here in the Mac, the women's side of things, some really good victories for the Mac this week in, uh, on, on the women's side. Ohio's playing well. Ball State, Miami playing well. You got Kent State at the top of the conference. They're 3-0, and uh, the only undefeated team remaining. We'll see if that lasts for them. They haven't played quite the, the level of competition that some of the other uh, squads have played. But nonetheless, Vanzi, a, a really nice uh, nice week for, for uh, women's basketball in the Mac. Anything that stood out for you on, on that side of the fence? Yeah, a couple of things. One, uh, shout out to my Lady Eagles up at EMU. They played Grace Christian. I mean, I know, I know it's, you know, not a great program. 133 points scored, program record. I mean, you know, you. it seems like in the women's games, when the games get lopsided, they get really lopsided. And yeah. that was, uh, you know, that was the case. But 133 points, I don't, I don't care if you're playing, you know, the little sisters of the poor to quote the former Ohio state athletic director, uh, you know, that's an impressive, impressive total, um, led by a Florida transfer and an LSU transfer. I mean, Harold Castro at EMU, they really bring in those transfers from high profile schools. Uh, and the other thing, um, that kind of snuck by me a little bit, but yesterday central Michigan played, host to the University of Michigan. Another great thing about the women's games is some of these bigger schools aren't shy about going on the road and uh, playing at the smaller schools, which is cool to see. But Central Michigan lost to Michigan, you know, but Michigan's ranked 13th in the nation um, at this time. But they did a wonderful ceremony. They retired a bunch of numbers. They retired their former head coach's name. And uh, that's all from, uh, I believe it was from 2012 on. Um, you know, yeah. all those players who retired part of uh, that great run that uh, Central Michigan women's basketball had, um, you know, really through the 2010s. Um, it, it's still really going now, but uh, really it was a moving ceremony. And then after being in Ypsilanti and going to, you know, it was when Central Michigan comes to town, I don't care to sport, you try to go out and watch them. So I saw a lot of those women's games and and, uh, you know, Tierra Moore and, and uh, Raina Frost and some of those names, you know, they definitely deserved it. And it was a very cool ceremony uh, to see. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, man, you, took, you take a look at the, the box score of this Eastern Michigan Grace Christian game. I mean, Eastern Michigan, 67% from the field, 54% from the three-point land, 31 assists to only 11 turnovers. Anytime you're shooting over 60% from the field and you're getting a three-to-one assist to turnover ratio, you're, you're going to win a lot of basketball games doing that. So, yeah, certainly a, a good week for the Eagles. You know, another team that's really impressing me right now on, uh, on the women's side of things you know, they've, they've had, it's, it's, it's obviously you're playing, you know, you're playing good competition to start the season. So you're going to lose some games, but you know, Ohio is still a team. You look back last year, a team that was right at the top of the standings, they returned their two best players from last year and Erica Johnson and CC hooks. Both of them were first team all Mac last year. They got a really good victory uh, earlier this week at, uh, at, they went to Cincinnati and knocked off the Bearcats 73, 62 Erica Johnson. I mentioned she had 27 points, six rebounds, six assists in that game. Sierra hooks, 
21 points, eight rebounds in that game. That right there to me might be the premier kind of one, two punch in Mac women's basketball this year. You also, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, central Michigan is, is, has, uh, you know, had some good performances as well. I'm looking forward this week though. You know, we got, uh, well, I should say, I, let me, let me call out a couple other nice performances I saw earlier this week, you know, 70 to 56 ball state beats uh, in-state rival Butler. They go to Hinkle Fieldhouse and knock off the Bulldogs on their home court. Miami as well, big rivalry game within the, the you know, the city of Cincinnati. They go down to the Sinta Center and knock off Xavier 77 to 73. I got to be honest with you, Vansy. I see a lot of these high-profile matchups uh, in, in non-conference basketball for the MAC. Uh, and on the women's side of the fence. And I see the Mac winning these games. Like, you know, you talk about making the Mac a two big league, two big league on the men's side of things. I think there is a really legitimate shot that that might happen on the women's side of things this year. Obviously, you know, we talked about this in our preview a couple of weeks ago, the Mac in women's basketball, these last, you know, handful of years has been really strong. They've been close, you know, they have had a, a, been a two big league a couple of times. I think it looks like it might be able to happen again this year with the way what we're seeing uh, them acquit themselves in some of these high profile non-conference games. Yeah, in recent years, it's been uh, Central Michigan, Toledo. They made some, you know, uh, some strong performances. Um, you know, Buffalo has had a good team a couple of years. Bowling Green was very good last year. Um, yeah. Obviously, Ohio is looking very good right now. Um, basketball right now in Oxford, Ohio, you know, I know it's, you know, it's known for its fraternities and, and all of that. But, uh, you know, maybe this is the winter where it becomes known for their basketball because they have some uh, impressive teams down there, at least early on. Uh, you know, I definitely I think there's, you know, again, the Mac is just in women's basketball. It's a very strong conference. Um, you know, it's probably one of the more premier mid-major conferences where on the flip side of the men's games, uh, Mac basketball is, you know, one of the, the lower level, you know, it seems as far as NCAA standing. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The, the, the Mac does seem to acquit itself. Um, I shouldn't say much better in women's basketball, but there, there, there have been, uh, has been a higher bar set. It, it does seem that way. So um, anyway, that'll, that'll wrap it up for, for us here this week, folks. Unless, let me say, let me, I guess I'll give the floor to you, Vansy. Any final thoughts before we sign off here today? Nope, I, I think that's it. Uh, you know, I hope uh, everyone gets to feast on some basketball this week, uh, you know, feast week, and, uh, you know, that, that uh, they have something in their, uh, their Mac livelihoods that, uh, you know, give them something to be thankful for. Absolutely. Could not agree more, Vansy. I know for me personally, Thanksgiving, always my, my favorite holiday. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year eat too much, drink too much, watch too many sports. It's always, it's always a, a great time to be alive. You and know. here in southeastern Michigan, get to watch the Lions lose on national TV. But definitely, <laughs> definitely going to be looking at a lot of the Mac sports to probably fill that void this week. There you go. I, I can't remember off the top of my head who do the Lions have on Thanksgiving this year. Oh, I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you. I, I'm not oh, sure. Uh, let me look that up real quick, actually. I, I think it's uh, a divisional four. Let me say, oh, you're right. Bears, Bears, Lions at Ford Field Thursday at 1230. Good stuff. Well, if, if everyone, they win that, Matt Nagy may be, uh, may be coaching in the Mac the next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would. Hey, there, there, there's a uh, – that would be a lateral move, I think, right, for Indiana. <laughs> bears, the, bears in the back. But uh, 
anyway, folks, uh, as, as I said, you know, I have a great Thanksgiving. We hope uh, we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. We are thankful for you, the listeners, every week. So thank you for tuning in again this week. That'll wrap it up here for episode 72 of The Bandwagon. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Uh, enjoy the week. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the basketball. Enjoy the holiday. Eat too much. We'll talk to you next week.